Open-mindedness is hailed as a virtue these days, but it's often a cloak for closed-mindedness. Consider this quote. I am open-minded about the existence of the Judeo-Christian God. If He appears in the immortal flesh in the heavens to me and a few billion other people and manifests His power openly in such a manner that it cannot possibly be a dream, illusion, hallucination, or anything of the sort, I'll accept He is here. In the meantime, it is more befitting the heritage of the human intellect to ignore such figures as mythical. Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Every person alive knows there's a God. Romans 1. Claiming to be open-minded really shut down to the gospel. Shut down. We are born. Human beings are born not open-minded to the true God. We are born what the scripture calls dead in trespasses and sins. Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. That's Ephesians 2, Romans 1. Rejecting the light of Christ. John 3. Jesus said, because men love sin, they reject the light. It's Jesus' testimony. That's how we're born. We're born not seeking God. We seek all sorts of other gods. Seek to craft gods. Seek to find gods that will fit into our agenda easily to control we can give them a few things and they'll basically leave us alone but paul says in romans 3 that none seek the true god none are righteous no not one we are born closed to the gospel and yet in our text today we see people seeking god don't we we do don't be afraid of that we find people seeking God. We find people loving His truth. We find people believing the gospel, trusting His Son, Jesus Christ. So does that contradict all the other portions of Scripture I've just shown to you? Not at all. It glorifies God. It glorifies God in His sovereign mercy. If we seek God, it is because He is seeking us, working in us, what Jesus called drawing us. The Father. No one can come to Him unless the Father draws, drags, changes. You see, we've seen this already in Acts. We saw it from a sovereign perspective. We saw it from a God, God perspective, a heavenly perspective in the life of Lydia, didn't we? Because all it tells us is that God opened her heart to believe the Gospel. That's all it, you know, really the information we got when we were back in chapter 16 on Lydia. But now we see the, the earthly perspective. What we see. What we experience in our lives. And what we see in the lives of others. When God is at work. We see how grace transforms people. As we look into the, the text. And see what was going on in Berea. There's emphasis on the human side. The other side of the tapestry. The response of one in whom God is working, drawing, saving. We see what it looks like. We see some more of the information that we wanted when we saw Lydia. We see what it looks like in the life when God opens a heart. When God impacts people with His grace. When He gives us new life. We see what it looks like from the earthly side as we look at the people in Berea. 
So we are looking at the Bereans this morning. We will specifically focus on verses 11 and 12 because a lot of the rest of it we'll either talk about later or it's the familiar pattern. You know, when Paul goes into a new city, he goes to the synagogue, he preaches the gospel, he proves to the Jews that their Messiah has come, that he is Jesus from the Old Testament, from the Scriptures. He reasoned from the Scriptures. And we've seen as, as the gospel's going forth, God's at work in people get saved and then those Jews who at least at that point like Saul was before at least at that point God is not at work in they don't like it people are being converted people are coming to Christ churches are being formed they're losing head count and so jealousy and persecution rises up and that's what we've seen recently as Corey did such a good job preaching uh, in chapter 16 the Philippians jailer and then early in chapter 17 the people in Thessalonica that's the pattern we've seen and we've see, seen it in other places places persecution follows the gospel and it will follow him to Berea but it can't stop God from building his church see persecution can't stop God from building his church in Iran one of the fastings grow in China. You know, the more people try to stamp it out, the more it spreads. God is accomplishing his purpose. And he did in Berea. And that's what we'll look at, really, the, the section about their hearts being changed. And then after that, there's persecution. And Paul moves on to Athens. And I'm looking forward to talking about Athens. But today, we're going to be in Berea and the famous story of the Bereans. And my message to you this morning won't be do more, try harder, try to be like the Bereans won't be a legalistic approach but it's it's given us a snapshot of God at work so that we can then by God's grace examine our own lives and say is God at work in me have I received the free gift am I trying to earn it or have I received the free gift of salvation in Christ so the main thing I want you to take away biblical biblical open-mindedness was my title um, I evidently can't say that. Uh, but the main point is God opens the hearts of those He saves to joyfully receive, diligently study, and unreservedly believe His Word. And there's your outline. Joyfully receive, diligently study, and unreservedly believe. That's what God does in the lives of people that He calls to Himself. And we see it in the Bereans. So the first point, recipients of grace joyfully receive the word. In verse 11, now those Jews were no, more noble than those in Thessalonica. Doesn't mean they were part of nobility. Really, that word is better translated another way. That word for noble there in your text, when it says the, the, the Jews in Thessalonica were noble, it really means what you might find in some of your other translations in the ESV. Noble-minded or fair-minded or open-minded. That's sort of where I, I got the title. And I wanted to connect it with, with Lydia so that we can see that we're seeing both sides there. But it means to be fair-minded, to be open-minded. Now listen to this. This is what this really means. A willingness to learn and evaluate something fairly. A willingness to learn and evaluate something fairly. A willingness to examine without prejudice. 
In other words, the Bereans were teachable. See, God was at work. He had prepared the way. Maybe there was even a good rabbi there in the synagogue who had sort of, you know, God was at work in and had sort of planted these seeds of, of loving God's Word. But however God had done that, there was a group of people here who were described as fair-minded, open-minded, willing, willing to learn, willing to examine without prejudice or just one word, teachable. Are you teachable? What does that bring? Humility. Right? God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble or the teachable or the ones who will deny themselves and rely upon Him. So they were noble. And then really, what does that look like? That's what we have out the rest of 11 and, and in the first of 12. What a noble-minded or an open-minded, biblically open-minded. Not so open-minded your brains fall out. Not just open to anything without examination. Not just believing, well, my truth is my truth and yours is yours. Bunk. Great Greek word for that. Hogwash. But look at the rest in verse 11. They were more noble how, because you could say. Or this is how nobility or noble-mindedness or open-mindedness manifested itself. Look at this. They received and accepted what was taught. They received and accepted. Now what it says here. They were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. So they weren't sitting there shut down. They weren't sitting there thinking about lunch. They weren't just going through a religious motion that their wife makes them go through every week. They were ready. It says they listened diligently. They were teachable. They were receiving the word with all eagerness. That word for eagerness is, is eagerness to engage in some activity or event. They were eager to hear the word. They couldn't wait to hear the word. They greatly desired to hear the word taught and preached. I remember that when God converted me. Now, I have an advantage over some of you and a disadvantage too. I was saved as an adult, 26 years old. But I remember suddenly finding in myself this, this desire for God's word. And I stopped thinking God's people were weird. And I wanted to hang around them and I didn't understand that. But see, they, they couldn't wait to hear the word. They had an eagerness to hear the word. And they were willing to hear the word. How about you? Come on. It's nothing to do with me or Corey or anybody else that preaches. Are you eager to hear the word? Are you praying into it? Coming with expectation to hear God or have God take His Word and somehow transform your life, teach you, grow you. I mean, is this just a religious exercise? It's not much value if it is. But are you eager to hear? They were eager to hear. See, this is a sign of God at work. Eagerness and joyfulness in receiving the Word, both in private, in your homes, and in public. They were hungry. I mean, you're smelling food, so this is a good illustration. They were hungry. A really good meal is so much better when you're hungry, isn't it? Filet mignon doesn't sound very good. Well, maybe it does. Some of us. 
But when you're full, you know, when you're full, that's when most diets are most successful. When you're full. But they were hungry. And that's a sign of health. What happens when you're sick? You lose your appetite, right? You're not hungry. Physically speaking, we lose our appetites when, we're, when we have some sort of malady. Let that be a spiritual read. If, if I've lost my hunger for the Word, something is wrong. Now, legalism could be getting in the way. You could be in the midst of a struggle. I don't know. But spiritually, hunger for the Word is a sign of health. And we should be concerned when we're not hungry for God's Word. But listen, they were glad to be there. They were on the edge of their seat. They were hanging on every word. They were seeking to remember what they heard. Because they, they wanted to accurately remember what was taught. So they joyfully received the word. They took steps to remember it. You may or may not be a note taker. But I promise you, if you write some things down, don't try to transcribe the sermon. Oh, But certain key points that God is piquing your interest or touching you with or convicting you with, if you write it down and throw it away when you walk out the door, you'll remember more. We're responsible for every word we hear. And that's scary, but don't be scared. God's Spirit is at work, but He does expect us to make every effort, like the Bereans, to retain what we hear. Not to forget it as soon as we walk out the door. To chew on it and talk about it. And that's what we see. So they were glad to hear the Word. They were hanging on every word. They were seeking to remember the Word. It says they received the Word with all eagerness. But look at this. This is important for you. They didn't take Paul's Word for it. They didn't believe it just because he said it. Look what they did. Second point. Recipients of grace diligently study the Word. Look at the rest of verse 11. So they, they received the Word with all eagerness. Now watch this. Examining the Scriptures every once in a while to see if these things were so. Daily. Every day. In some form or fashion, they were in the Word. And they were taken. This is a really good practice if you're not studying anything else. Now I encourage you to be reading the Bible every day. And we have a, a plan for that, a two-year plan. It's an easy plan. It's on the website. But if you're not studying anything else, take what is preached home with you during the week and study that. Compare it to Scripture. Please don't take my word for it. I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. I might say something not in accord with God's word. He might use you to show me that. But look, look what they did. It says they were examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things, what things, what Paul was preaching about Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They were, they were in the books. They were in the Scriptures. And maybe they had to go to the synagogue to, to read the scroll. I mean, they didn't have all these translations sitting on their shelves at home. But they took good notes and they talked to the rabbi. They, they, whatever, who are they? they talked to their teachers. But they were examining. That word for examine means this. Look at the, what the Bereans did. That word for examine means to try to learn the nature of some truth or something by the process of careful 
study, evaluation, and judgment. Like examining the evidence in a trial. How important is that if you're on the jury? Right? Careful study. And they did it every day. And they carefully examined the scriptures to see if what he said was really too, true. And listen, here's another read for us. It wasn't a burden. It wasn't a burden. They were doing this because this is how God had changed their heart. They loved the word. They wanted to know the word. They wanted to know God. And see, only grace will make you love God. That's why I told you it's not going to be a do more, try harder sermon. That won't get you anywhere. Legalism can't make you love God. In fact, it can make you hate God. But grace. Grace. Produces love for Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That will be your delight. They were in the scriptures daily. Listen. Let God's word do its work. Are you in the scriptures daily? In some form. It could be on your phone. And are you in transition in your day? Are you having a time morning, evening, lunch, whatever, where you're reading God's word, praying to God, seeking to rest in Christ and have him change you and grow you? See, they example that for us. They didn't just take the preaching as, you know, they didn't just lap it up and wait till next, this, in this case, Saturday to get some more. They took it and then they chewed on it during the week. But they didn't just chew on it according to their feelings or what their neighbor thought or, you know, what the Discovery Channel said. They were in the Word. What does the Word say? See, they loved the Word. They couldn't wait to hear the Word preached. They were in it every day. And it wasn't legalism. It was love for God and His Word. See, the Word of God was their standard. The Word of God was their standard. If it didn't line up with the Word of God, it was out. And so many of us don't know the Word of God. Danger. What happens to a straying sheep? Well, there he's lunch usually. There are wolves out there. We stray away. We only call on God when there's trouble. We only read the Word to figure out how to get out of our trouble. That's not a biblical example of someone that's been impacted by God's grace. The Scripture was their standard. Everything else was measured by the Scriptures. Not their own reason. They believed the Scripture when it made sense to them and when it didn't. Because God is God and His Word is true. And He is judged, not me, not you. See, the Spirit had worked in them. They weren't dependent on their feelings. They weren't dependent on consensus. They weren't dependent on the ungodly and what they thought, not their reason. The Spirit had worked in them a confidence that God's Word was God's Word. And that's what the Spirit does in the lives of the people He saves.
they had a confidence that the scriptures were the very word of God, completely true, and the standard of all truth. And I remember, again, I remember that. And, and I can share more with you if you're interested in our testimony. But when God, to begin, when God began to work in our lives, he drew us into his word. And we didn't come at it. We, didn't have any, we hadn't read a book on how to know God's word's God's word. We didn't know anything. But he had worked a confidence in us that that was where to seek. And so that's where we looked to find out if our living together was a sin. Uh-huh. If, but we had bigger problems with that. We needed a Savior. We were lost. and We needed a Savior. And we found that Savior in Jesus, in God's book. But they had a confidence in God's Word. They trusted it to be God's Word. They looked to it for their standard. And there's every reason to do that. Rightly, rightly looked into and rightly studied, this book proves a reliable source. It's, yes, it's reliable historically. But this is where we find salvation in Christ. Were all our questions answered? Mm -mm. They're still not. Yours aren't either. But the Spirit works a confidence in God's Word if He's at work in us. Jesus had this kind of confidence. Look at look what Jesus thought, and this is only one place, and we, we claim to be following Jesus, right? Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, now watch this, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. The smallest stroke of the pen in the Old Testament is inspired of God and God's Word and will not pass away but be fulfilled. Jesus believed in the Word. Of course He did. He's the incarnate Word. It's as the Son of God, God and man, God, He knows it's the Word of God. And it will all be fulfilled. So listen, if we're not trusting God's Word, if God's Word is not our standard, we are not in step with the Spirit. Because the Spirit works in the people He impacts to believe that this is the Word of God. 66 books. 39 Old Testament, 27 New. That's it. There's no new words. This is the Word of God. This is where we'd admire up in mind and, and, and seek. This is what God uses. His Spirit doesn't work outside of His Word, and He uses His Word to bring us to faith and transform us into the image of Christ. And the people in whom He works have a confidence in His Word and look to it. And when His Word disagrees with what the world or anybody else says, they believe the Word. Now, you might not have all the answers, and I've gone through many struggles, and it's usually when I grow when I'm in the midst of the struggles, when there seems to be a contradiction or there seems to be trouble. But you know what? I, if I looked at my heart, I was, I was looking. I knew there was an answer, and I was looking for it, and that tests our hearts. But this is the Word of God, and they had confidence in the Word, and they were looking to it to answer the questions. The Holy Spirit gives confidence in God's Word, even though all of our questions are not answered yet. See, some tend to use unanswered questions as a cloak for unbelief in sin. Some claim to follow Jesus. I mean, you know, there are some famous ones who are 
bad scholars. But people fall away. But they claim to use unanswered questions. They use them as a cloak for unbelief and sin. Listen to me. I want to make something clear to you. You will answer for this. It is not God's fault that you don't believe. It is yours. And there's nothing lacking in His Word to be the foundation of your faith. The Gospel is true and Christ's resurrection proves it. And Jesus is the one who taught us that even the smallest marks of the pen are God's Word. Now, we don't have a perfect translation yet, and that's another sermon. But we're working back closer, closer, closer to it. Not farther away. And most of the translations agree 98.5% of the time. So nobody's trying to take away from the Word of God and all those crazy things people say. But everything we need for life and godliness is clear in His Word. And the things that, are, uh, the, the things that pertain to salvation and growing grace are so clear that the smallest child can understand them. God's not hidden it. He's not made the gospel complicated. It's right here in His Word. It's your confidence in His Word. Those in whom God is at work diligently study it because it's their standard. Look at what Paul would say to Timothy in the last letter he wrote, his beloved child in the faith. He says this in 14 to 17, But as for you, continue with what you have learned and have firmly, firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? The sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every, that word for equipped means thoroughly equipped, for every good work. Peter says we have everything that pertains to life and godliness through a knowledge of God which comes through his precious promises which is his word. So they diligently studied the word and now look what happened. Because God's at work here. He, he, he has They've been in the context of the gospel preached. They've joyfully received that. They've gone home and searched the word to see if it's true. And they found out it was. So thirdly, recipients of grace unreservedly believe the word. They go through it to really trust God, to trust Jesus. Look what it says. First part of verse 12. Many of them, many of the Jews in Berea, Many of those who were in that context, not all, God's not at work in everybody at the same time, but many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek of women of high standing as well as the men. And that caused trouble and you heard when I read it. But they, they, the ones in whom God was at work unreservedly believed His word. They trusted in Christ and Christ alone. They believed His Word about His Son, delivered by His messages, and confirmed through a serious study of the Word, which in that day their Bible was the Old Testament. Man, wouldn't you learn, love to have been with Jesus on the road to Emmaus when He explained the whole Old Testament and showed how all of it was about Him? That's the way Paul was preaching. If we're doing our job right, that's the way we're preaching. They found out, wow, the Old Testament predicts all these things about the Messiah. Isaiah 53 reads like a newspaper report of what had already happened 700 years before Christ ever came. 
Jesus is the Messiah. And in tears and in repentance, they turned and they trusted in him. They believe the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is not be better so God will love you. The gospel is, well, the bad news is we are lost and need a savior. We have broken his commandments in thought, word, and deed. We, all of our righteous attempts are filthy rags. We cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. And that Jesus is that savior. There's only one. Love you enough to tell you the truth. Jesus is that savior. And the cool thing about Jesus is he came to save his people at the, exactly the right time. That law we had broken, he lived in perfect fulfillment of it, fulfilling all righteousness. Perfect record. Deserved only blessing, but no, he took our sin upon himself and died and paid our penalty. And he was raised from the grave, proving it's all true. And you know what he said he requires of us? To receive his salvation is repentance and faith. It's conversion. Turn and trust in Jesus. Turn from relying upon anything else, pursuing anything else, and turn to Jesus and receive him as your salvation. It's, that's it. Even that's a work of God. But when we trust in Christ, we're united to Christ. We're hidden in him. We're justified on the basis of Christ, not us. God, the judgment seat, declares us righteous through faith in Jesus. And he begins at that point transforming us into the image of Jesus. The scripture uses the language of free gift. Imagine a box and a bow. Salvation, if you will receive it as a free gift, is yours. If you try to earn it, you ruin it. You can't earn it. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? Kids, have you received Jesus as your Savior? Adults, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone? It's a free gift to you, but it requires humility. God gives it to those in whom He's at work. Are you trusting in Christ? See, God had opened their hearts, just like Lydia, and they had trusted His Word, which led them to Jesus and kept them in Jesus. But they weren't depending upon their own rationality to figure out if everything was true. You'll fall short. That's where many cults come from. They were believing God's word and trusting in Jesus. They weren't leaning on their own understanding. One of the verses God had me memorize, I don't even remember the circumstances. It was very early in my Christian life because I tended to be proud and all of that. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7 says this. I would encourage you to memorize it. Trust in the Lord and your heart. Follow your heart is some of the worst advice you'll ever get, by the way. Don't ever post that on Facebook. It's trash. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. God, you've got to fulfill all my requests for I'll believe in you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. What does that mean? Reverence Him. Love Him. Turn to Him. Trust Him. Walk with Him. Have Him be your treasure and your source of authority and your salvation. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
Do not lean on your own understanding, but trust the Lord. How do we do that? By trusting His Word. Because His Word is true. Jesus' resurrection proves it. So how about you? Has God opened your heart to believe? Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone? God commands you to do that. We'll see that when we see Paul in Athens in chapter 17. He doesn't make it a suggestion after he preaches the gospel on the Mars Hill in the Areopagus. At the end of that, he said that God has appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. And he has proven that by raising his son from the dead. And on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus, he commands all people everywhere to repent after all their questions are answered. That's not what it says. He commands all people everywhere to repent. He commands. But what, 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 what more? Who else would you want as your God other than the one who would sacrifice his very son for you? So if just a few quick points of application. Um, first one is the gospel should make us easy. Easy. <laughs> Nothing's easy about Christian life. The gospel should make us eager to interact with God's word and love his word. Just use the psalmist for a few things. Psalm 119.97. Emphasis. Oh, how I love thy law. I love thy word. Now watch this. It is my meditation all the day. I love your word. I love your law. And I think about it and meditate it and chew on it all the day. See, the gospel makes us eager to interact with God's word. We can become cold in this. And that's what I'm trying to do. Refresh us if that's happened. Number two. The gospel should make us diligent in study of the word. Listen, I want to speak to some of you who say Bible study is not my thing. It is your thing. If you're a child of God, it is your thing. You might not be good at it. People can help you with that. But it is your thing and you are responsible to do it. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. His spirit, if his spirit's, in, if his spirit's within you, he'll make you want to do it. But Bible study is your thing. And we do it as a community and we help one another. Look at Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Serious study. Memorization. Hiding it in the heart is what God does in those He's impacting with His grace and His gospel. Some of us are better at it than others. Listen, don't ever say this. Well, I just can't memorize Scripture. What's your address? Your children's name? Where do you work? So it's harder for some of us than others. But if you work on it, you can. Now, nobody's asking you to memorize the whole Bible. Some people have claimed, at least claim to have done that. I'm certainly not one of those. Glad to have it. But the gospel should make us diligently diggers into the word. And again, I said, if you're not studying anything else, study what's preached. See if it's the word. If you see where it's not coming, let us know. Number three, the gospel should give us confidence in the word. Jesus rose again, proving it's true. And there are going to be times that you don't think it is. And there are going to be things about the word you don't think it is. But when you know enough, you believe. When you, there's answers for everything. but He doesn't give them to us all at once. He's growing us in grace. But Psalm 19.7, look at the psalmist's. Opinion matches Jesus. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Go read the rest of Psalm 19. I don't have time. But the gospel gives us confidence in God's word. And his resur Jesus' resurrection proves it's true. 
And then the gospel makes His word our standard. When God's at work, He he convinces us that this is His Word so that we'll be in it. And so the Spirit's working in us through it to bring us to faith, yes, and to grow us in grace. But if gospel, if God's at work in your heart, He, he makes the Word your standard. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You don't even start in true knowledge and wisdom until you have God and His Word at the forefront. That's where we get the knowledge of God. Where we know Him is through His Word. His Word teaches us and guides us and is our standard. Think about this. I've been doing some home improvements lately. And my standard, one of my standards was a tape measure. Which tells me what an inch is and what a foot is. And, you know, imagine what the addition I was working on on my house would look like if I just eyeballed everything. Looked like a cartoon, probably. But the, the ruler was, the tape measure was the standard, or the level. Think about a level. The level tells me what's level. So that I can build things straight, right? And not like a theme park where, you know, you have the leaning houses and stuff. And looks like at least water's running uphill. It's not. One of, one of the old movies we watched before we came to faith, and it still isn't... You know, it's dramatic portrayal. Don't It's not the Word of God in just word by word. But one of the things Joseph said to the kids when he was, and this is Mary and Joseph. Um, Joseph said to the kids when he was teaching them to be a carpenter in that movie, he says, as we use a ruler to make straight lines on the wood, God gave us His Word to keep our lives straight. By bringing us to Jesus and growing us in grace. This is the Word of God. So biblical open-mindedness is not just being open to everything without examination. It's receiving the Word with joy and comparing what we hear with Scripture. And if it's in line with Scripture, we embrace it no matter what. We allow it to shape our lives. Love for and confidence in God, therefore, is a love for and confidence in His Word. You can't love and trust God if you don't love and trust His Word. And listen, and there's been some people, there's been some very famous people recently who have committed what we call apostasy. You may have heard of the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Sold over a million copies. Joshua Harris came out last week and said by every standard he knows, he's not a Christian. He wasn't. And if he persists in that, it means he never was. Remember, Jesus said, I never knew you. We don't have faith in true faith, true salvation and fall away from it. But we have an evil heart of unbelief that eventually manifests itself. Hebrews 3.12 said, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. See, an evil, unbelieving heart is the, the opposite of the things that I've been telling you. And then we're not perfect in these, but in general, these should describe a person that God's at work in by His grace. If He's at work in us, then we should eagerly receive His Word. We should diligently study His Word and unreservedly believe His Word. That's what He produces in the lives of those He saved. And if you remember the quote I started with, remember that quote. 
That was a claim to being open-minded while really being closed-minded to the truth of God. In other words, that sort of person, that sort of heart says, I am open-minded as long as I control the conditions. I am open-minded as long as you dance to my tune. I am tolerant with you as long as you agree with me. The people who used to cry loudest for tolerance are now the most intolerant on the planet. I'm not preaching on politics today. In other words, we want to be the judge. And listen to me. I don't want to scare you, but some of y'all are living that way. You're the ultimate judge of everything. You decide whether or not it's God's word. You decide whether or not the gospel is true. You go by your feelings and others' opinions and everything else besides the word of God. And where the word of God happens to match your agenda or belief, you go with it. And I'm telling you, you're in danger if that's your heart. The heart is deceitful and wicked and desperately wicked, the Bible says. It lies to us. Don't lean on your own understanding. Repent and hear and trust Christ. True open-mindedness. True evidence that God is at work in us is being open-minded to God and His Word. He is the truth. And His Word is truth. And Jesus' resurrection proves it's true. Like the Bereans, receive the Word. Trust. Turn and trust. In Jesus. Walk with Him. Because He is the way. The truth. And the life. To live is Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God help us to trust You. Lord. Those of us who are struggling with that right now, we pray for you to give them clarity, not to answer all their questions, but to show them that they need a Savior and that that Savior is Jesus and that your word is true. Work repentance in us all. Some of us who trust you have veered from that and are giving more weight to worldly opinions and our own feelings and thoughts and intellect. Lord, grant us repentance from that. Some of us are trusting in you and, and at this point at least don't seem to be struggling, Lord. Lord, just continue to grow us, protect us, mold us, shape us. I pray for every soul in this room and every soul that will hear on the internet, every soul that we will talk to about the gospel this week, Lord, that you would be at work in them to joyfully receive your word, to faithfully Feed upon your word. And to trust you. No matter what. And to rest in Christ for salvation. Lord have mercy on us. Draw us to faith. Grow us in faith and grace. And may it not just be words. But may Christ. Be our life. Lord we. We need you. It's got, it has to be a work of your grace. So we look to you this morning. Pleading for it and trusting for it. In Jesus name. Amen.